The roster moves are set and we have a big preview. All of that and more on this episode of the Indie Ball Report Podcast. We are back again, episode number 126 of the Indie Ball Report podcast. I'm Nick. He's Will. There was a delay there. Shouldn't have been a delay, but he's Will, though. I I can assure you of that. It's almost like you're potentially unveiling somebody new, and you're like, I'm Nick. He's Rick White. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Rick White's actually co-host after all the wonderful things we said about his league last week. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is true, but no, it is, uh, ju- it's just me. just me. You make it sound like that's not some sort of big, grand reveal. I think it's worthy of a reveal, but, you know, yeah. it's just me. But, uh, yeah, no, so we do have a lot of news. Like I mentioned, we the roster kind of chaos that we expected to come, I guess, really didn't, but we're going to cover that fairly quickly. We also got some um, American Association uh, roster turnover, too, that we're going to talk about real quick. They got a new playoff format over there, and then once we get through all of that, we are going to jump back into the final, well, I shouldn't say back into it, really get to the last league uh, recap, as it were, and that being the Frontier League uh, this week, and we'll try and get through all of that, although they have like 14 teams, and the most we've covered is 12 and 1, so it should take a little bit there, so you'll get a longer episode this week, that much is for certain, but... Uh, I guess we shouldn't really waste terribly much time here, and we should just get right into it. We'll start with those Atlantic League transactions. Uh, we had a couple notable ones. Jordan Pacheco retired. Uh, Cole Sturgeon got dealt to Milwaukee, who almost immediately upon landing in Milwaukee made a fairly big impact. I think he threw out, it was uh, Fari Greer, I want to say, was the runner that he threw out at home which preserved the Milkman's lead in that game. And then uh, Peterson also got dealt to Cleburne. So we had the, all those three major moves happen, and then we had a lot of guys uh, that seemed to get put on the inactive list. I don't know what the deal is around that, because, I mean, players go on and off the inactive list all the time in the Atlantic League for a variety of reasons, ranging from just, well, we're going to rest them and we don't want to have them on the active roster because we don't want to lose that spot to just we don't expect them back for a little bit so we'll put them on the list that way retain them to everything in between so who really knows why that is uh but i have a feeling it's somewhat related to the mound yeah temporary inactive list in the atlantic league is quite possibly like the most big thing as far as like roster classification because you never know usually what i try to look for is if it's a position player that's going on the temporarily inactive list, there's something up. So that's something you look for. Is it an injury? Is he is he stepping away for a little bit? Um, that's really what you're looking for when it's a position player that goes on the temporarily temporary inactive list. When it's a pitcher, specifically a starting pitcher, I usually don't think about it too much. Starting pitcher specifically, because usually what Atlantic League teams will do is they'll only activate a starting pitcher or two uh, at a time so they can really stack their roster with relievers and available arms for that specific night. And then they'll just activate the guy who, let's say, Mitch Atkins is starting tonight. They could take Mitch Atkins off the inactive list starting tonight 
and place him back on tomorrow when he can't throw for four days. So it's kind of complicated, and which is what makes it kind of tough to evaluate uh, because you don't know who is like for real on the temporary inactive list. Like for example, like if you want to look at guys that I'm wondering about, uh, I was just about to say Alberto Cayasso uh, was on the inactive list. He's back now. I believe there's a little bit of an injury there, but but he's back. Uh, like the West Virginia power placing Arsenio Leon. He's a, he's a hard throwing reliever. Maybe some, maybe something's up there, uh, because relievers, relievers won't go on the inactive list all that much. So it, it's definitely something to monitor. But as far as the transactions, um, as far as the transactions we've seen, I, I think the most, I think the, the favorite one's got to be Jordan Pacheco, right? Uh, who, who just straight up just announced his retirement. And, you know, you don't want to make assumptions about a retirement. Maybe he just, that, that was going to be a plan to vote for him. But, you know, uh, he was the victim of that viral track man strike three call that was very, very far outside and like in the dirt. And he kind of went viral because of it. After, after the, after the mound was set to be moved back, he's like, you know what? I, I think that, I think that's enough baseball for me. So I think that's, I think he's probably the most interesting one, but a lot of transactions, certainly, but I don't think anything, not necessarily, not necessarily like, everybody like straight up leaving and the roster being completely different. And I think a lot of that has to do with the consequences of that or how hard it was going to be for players to get out of their deals in the Atlantic league with the mound about to be moved out. Yeah. I think that's a large part of it. And I think part of the reason for lack of that kind of exodus, like we thought is supposedly there's kind of a split, among front offices, not so much in the Atlantic League, but among the other partner leagues, as to whether or not that band actually affects them or not. Like, they saw, and clearly they heard about this, and some of them argue, like, okay, well, I guess we can't sign players that want out like that. But several front offices have apparently been talking and saying, look, we don't really care about what the band is. Until we are told explicitly we're not allowed to have these players, we fully plan on signing them. We don't really care. And so someone else had told me they had reached out to the Atlantic League and they said, look, and the Atlantic League had told them that our punishments only apply apply to the players in our league and only apply to our league. So I'm not sure if this means they're backing off of it. I'm not sure if there has been some sort of change in there. I'm not sure if this is a threat that's coming from Major League Baseball and it's turned into one of those, look, we want the leagues and the teams to police this outside of that, we want to be done with it. Or if it's going to turn into a Major League Baseball saying, hey, you're not enforcing the ban that we were using, so now we're going to come in and actually enforce it under penalty to these leagues and to the teams that choose not to obey it. I don't know what that's going to turn into, but supposedly now this band is turning more into like a recommendation. But I don't really know if uh, that's going to be something we're going to see a lot of. Now, I could very well see the American Association just treating this as like, a, until we're told otherwise, we're going to continue to operate as business as usual, which yeah. again goes to what we said last week of if they can get rid of these roster rules, they're setting themselves up nice, especially if you just totally disregard what this is. But I just thought that was something interesting that I was hearing about during the week. But again, I, I don't know 
how much there is to that. Yeah, I think that it kind of goes back to what I was saying. Uh, I talked about quite a lot last week, which was I don't know who would be willing to take the risk. However, I would almost look to call their bluff on it because at the end of the day, these teams are trying to win. And, and you look at a league like the American Association, I understand the Frontier League is, is very tough because there are, there's only three veteran slots. And you'd assume a lot of the Atlantic guys hold the ball into that category. That's tough for them. But uh, the American Association, and who've kind of had like, this attitude all along, that like we are completely independent. Like yes, we have some MLB like, uh, like branding. We are technically a partner league, but not doing any of these rules, not doing the extra inning rule, uh, and, and any of that stuff. Saying you th- you really think one of those teams is going to like turn down a, a high quality pitcher uh, who's who's not going to pitch in the Atlantic League anymore? Uh, I, I don't think I, I don't I don't think they would. So. Um, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see um, maybe if there's any more transactions. Of course, maybe some players are are giving it a shot and they're saying screw it. Uh, the, as far as like the games that have been played uh, with the man move back so far, way too small of a sample in my view to really determine much from it. I I do believe uh, I saw on a our friend of the show Rob Pinsers. Twitter, there's a, a good thread there about early on, uh, like the vertical break, uh, vertical, uh, vertical and horizontal break, uh, a little bit of changes there. Uh, velocity is down about a tick. Uh, but however, that's after five games. We're gonna, I'm sure those, a lot, we'll, we'll get a better look at those numbers after a full slate of games for a week. And then we could have a better discussion about it. So we'll see, if, we'll see if players are after maybe trying it or, are willing to stay or willing to go, I think that's that's something that we'll have to keep an eye on. Yeah, I think it's definitely something to watch out for. Like you said, it, it's too early to really have information on that one way or the other that's, you know, you're confident in. I do think I know one of the teams that would be interested in just kind of ignoring the supposed band, and that may be Cleburne. My reasoning on that is, if you look at their ownership group, if I remember correctly, they do have someone that was involved or is involved with the Texas Rangers. And so if he's already involved in Major League Baseball, that means one of two things. That means, one, he's totally against picking up any player that would be, you know, considered part of the band. Or two, it shields you and allows you to pick up any player that would be part of this band. And if that's the case, already Cleaver and Shell are able to get good players and cut a, con- a very competitive roster on the field. But you add in all the kind of Atlantic League refugees there, all of a sudden that becomes a lot more interesting. Likewise, maybe a, maybe some of the newer teams, like a Lake Country, would be interested in it. I mean, they have uh, Kalanick's father in there. That's a major league connection there. I think the teams with those kind of major league connections would be a lot more interested in picking up those players because it's just you know you have some shielding there and if you can improve your team why would not improve your team improved team helps your bottom line at the end of the day so you mentioned one of the one of the additions uh cole sturgeon who's who had a great year who had a great first half at the lesson in legend moving to the american association with the milkman the milkman so was more than willing to take him on Already off to a great start there. I think you'll start to see a lot of the good performances from a lot more of those guys who are, who are moving leagues. 
But, uh, I mean, Sturgeon, Sturgeon had a great year in the Atlantic League. So, uh, that, that was a big pickup for Milwaukee. Uh, and we'll see if those similar, similar moves among other teams start to pan out as we start to get, you know, a week or two weeks with the mound move back and players actually have a chance to play with it. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll go uh, to two quick things in the American Association, then we'll move on from there to the preview. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Winnipeg is back in Winnipeg. That happened this past week. August the 3rd is when they went back and started playing games. This meant that they had to abide by the Canadian government's rules, part of which is that these players need to be vaccinated. Now that obviously is a hot button issue that we're not going to get all too into, but what we will say is this does very much affect the actual team construction as a lot of the players in some of these teams are not, in fact, vaccinated, including the coaching staff. Take, for example, the opponent they played this past series in the Sioux City Explorers, from in which only about half of the team is vaccinated and only about nine players were, and of those nine players, I believe only four or so uh, actually went to Canada. And they had to use their hitting coaches, their manager, and they signed, I'm not exaggerating this, about 10 different players, if not more, just for the trip into Canada. And you can see that on the league transaction page. There's guy after guy after guy after guy that keeps getting signed, just so that way they can field a team up in Winnipeg. So that's... Part of the first question I'm going to ask here is, this is clearly going to be a home field advantage for Winnipeg when teams cannot bring their actual teams there. So I guess part of it is, you know, how much of an advantage this is going to be. And otherwise, uh, there's also a bit of a downside to Winnipeg because they had to part with some of the better players they had. Jake Gonzalez went to high point for a player to be named Layer. Jose Jose goes to Gastonia. Now they get Donnie Hart back. So I guess that's kind of like a mutual benefit there. Winnipeg gets one of the better relievers in the Atlantic League. Gastonia gets one of the better relievers in all of indie ball in return. So it's kind of mutual there, but it does also affect Winnipeg. So I guess talking about the home field advantage is really like the starting point here. And secondly, how crazy is this going to be when you see essentially brand new teams take the field in Winnipeg that would otherwise be taking the field in the other uh, I guess it would be 11 teams in the American Association. You mentioned there's a home field advantage, and it, it's really crazy. Like some of the teams, and the teams in particular with with low vaccination rates, how this is really going to hurt them. I mean, as far as Sioux City, the players they signed yesterday, here, I'm, I'm just going to count them because it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24 players. Right, I really lowballed it. 24 players were signed by Sioux City yesterday. <laughs> that is... Uh, they signed a new team. Entire, they signed a new team. Uh, and, and listen, I... Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to turn this into a, a a discussion about the um the uh, how like how effective the vaccine is. I mean, I've made my thoughts pretty clear about it. I think people should get it. Whatever. I, I, this is an indie ball podcast, though, and this is what you're here for. Yeah. Uh, from a baseball perspective, this is really a really big deal. If 
the Canadian government, which they have every right to do, is saying, listen, we're not letting you bring in these, uh, bring in players who are unvaccinated. Let's look at the, the results of the first two games up in Winnipeg. Winnipeg won the first two games. Uh, of course, we're, we're recording this on, uh, on Thursday, August 5th, so a day earlier than usual, so the series will be over. But the first two games of the series, Winnipeg 14 to 6 win, Winnipeg 11 to 7 win. That's what happens when you are in a year where, uh, you're going to struggle to bring in pitchers to begin with. You're building an entire new pitching staff and you're bringing them into Winnipeg. And Winnipeg's not even really a great team to begin with. And so it's going to be a really, really big deal. And I mean, down the stretch, you're going to have teams that are going to be looking to fight uh, for a playoff spot. Uh, for example, Fargo-Moorhead ends the season at Winnipeg. Fargo-Moorhead and Chicago are still battling. Chicago's playing uh, in Winnipeg uh, the series before. Chicago and Fargo-Moorhead. Does the, does the playoff spot go to the team with the most vaccinated players? I mean, maybe. Uh, it, might, it, it could end up working like that. So, I mean, this story is far from over. It's, and if you're gonna, and I'm not, I don't know what other teams' vaccination rates are like. Uh, I don't know if Sioux City is kind of an outlier in that sense. But, it is, this is a really big deal that's going to, and the story is totally developing far from over. And, um, and we'll have to see how it develops with other teams going into Winnipeg. But, I mean, for Sioux City, I mean, what is just a complete disaster, honestly. Yeah, it really is, because now you're really up the creek here in terms of finding players to just fill out a roster, really, when you want to get down to it. And, I mean, then you have to find competent players. They almost won uh, on Wednesday, and I know that uh, they wound up losing on a walk-off home run, which, I mean, that's, you know, our walk-off grand slam, I believe is actually what it was, and that's never uh, an easy pill to swallow when you lose like that, although if you get yourself into that position, the writing's on the wall. Uh, the bases are loaded uh, in the bottom of the ninth, and the game's tied. But even still, it was a bit closer. But you do make a great point with the playoffs, because we're about to talk about the, the expanded playoff format here. And it provides now an opportunity for Winnipeg to kind of sneak, sneak on in there to that final playoff spot. And if they're able to somehow manage to claw their way into and again this would be a bit of a stretch into the second seed all of a sudden now they have home field advantage in the postseason in a do or die game against probably chicago or fargo moorhead and that is a very 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 interesting position because i mean if you want to look at the standings right now just for the sake of example as it stands right now uh at about 11 40 on thursday morning it is 34-35 for Winnipeg, 41-31 for Fargo-Moorhead. So grant you, that is a little bit of a stretch uh, for for them to get back into the thick of things here. So they, they certainly can, but it will be tough for them, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. But if they're able to get in there, I think they need that second spot to really make noise. But it will be very interesting, and depending on how many home games they have, it's certainly very possible. I mean, let's say you win three out of every four home games you play if you're Winnipeg and you're just taking one out of every two on the road. That's about 600 baseball, and that will certainly get you further than you were going to get beforehand, you know? 
it could it could be a big deal if Winnipeg can can climb back into this race really uh, aided by it. I'm sure they're not complaining about this at all. I mean, it's a it's a big advantage for them. It really provides them an avenue to get back in it. And this is the, the 2021 season. Hope, hopefully, this doesn't like. I really hope by 2022 baseball season, COVID isn't like a thing at all. That'd be lovely. This this season's going to be really weird. And this is a probably not the weirdest thing I think I've seen so far this season. So certainly another thing. You know who's heading there this weekend? Milwaukee Milkmen. Oh yeah, that's well, lot to see. Yeah, I don't know. It's that's the thing here. We're gonna get to see how many vaccinated players there are on each of these teams, and I think yeah. what it's also gonna come down to for a lot of these teams is who are the vaccinated players. Is it some yeah. you know end of the bench guy, or is it your number four hitter? Yeah, that, that's gonna be interesting to see there, but. Uh, well, let's quickly cover this uh, expanded playoff and then jump into the preview or recap rather. Last night, or not last night, it was yesterday morning, my mistake, where the American Association announced that they had added a play-in game to this year's postseason. And I'd actually would like to see this continue going forward because I think the play-in game's really starting to get a lot more popular ever since the NBA really kind of started with their little like kind of play-in tournament. I think this really, really makes it kind of, kind of cool. I like it to be honest. And what it is is the number two seed in the division will play the number three seed in a one-game winner-take-all. I guess playoff is really what it is, but it's a playing game, and the winner of that game will wind up playing in the five-game set against the top seed in the division, and then from there, that top seed or the winner of the top seed versus the the playing winner will play in the championship game. The playing game is scheduled to start and be played on September the 8th. And then uh, the second round or first round or the semifinal, really what it is, uh, will be played on September the 10th through at the latest the 15th. And then the title series will begin on the 17th and be played through at the latest the 22nd. All of that is September so it is very, very interesting now in the American Association with extra playoff spots opening up. That means a team like Fargo-Moorhead that may have been left on the outside looking in now is seemingly uh, going to get the green light to the postseason. A team like Lincoln that we thought was dead in the waters back in this. Sioux City, who's going to be com- coming back to America limping, is going to be uh, still in the thick of things. There's a lot of teams that we were writing off that I really wish they would have dropped this, you know, like, two weeks ago and we could have talked about then and would have really changed the preview, but it's certainly as a brand new dynamic right down the stretch of the season. Yeah. I, I like the idea of the plan uh, specifically because I, I, it's not so much that I love like adding more teams in the playoffs, but I do like it's, it's really the reward of winning the division. Now, I mean, if you look at the standings, the division, like the division title races are about over. Yeah. I guess you could say. Uh, I mean, both Milwaukee and Kansas City have comfortable leads, uh, in their respective divisions. I, I wish they wouldn't have dropped this in the middle of the season. I, I wish, I, I like it. I like the idea long term. I don't know if I like in the middle of, uh, in the beginning of August saying, 
yeah, we're just going to change our playoff format and we're just going to add an extra team. And it, it, I, I, I think there's just too many factors at play there that, um, that I don't know if I love just throwing yeah. in playoff, playoff, playoff teams like now. Yeah, like, I, like June would have been a better time to do this. Yeah, or if you're going to do it, do it like early. Yeah. Like, not with like a month to go and it's like, oh, surprise. Like, it, it's, and, and not, not that any team is going to have, well, actually, I guess the teams like the Chicago, like, uh, for example, like Cleveland, who you could definitely see finishing second, they definitely have a problem with it because now instead of a, a full playoff series guaranteed against Kansas City, they're, uh, they're going to have a one game playoff uh, mm-hmm. against, like, if the, if the, and, and that's, that's tough. That's tough for any team. So, uh, I mean, it makes it more chaotic. It really rewards teams for winning the division, which I like. Mm. But throwing it in the, with like a month to go in the season, I don't know if I'm such a big fan of that. I'll agree with that. I think putting it or announcing it when they did is a bit of a tricky wicket. I think uh, I would rather them have done that like beginning of June, you know, almost right after the season began, like less than a month in. Then I think that would have changed a lot of things. Uh, that said, I do like it. Like you said, it rewards the division winners. I also just like that it kind of adds a bit more of an element to to everything. It's a real do-or-die type scenario now where it's like, okay, it's like the wild card game in the past where it's like, all right, you're going to have a shot at this. And if I can't get my way in the, I just want like the top four teams in the league to play each other, then this is certainly a good consolation prize in my mind. And I think it also sets up a lot of interesting uh, kind of storylines where if you have a team like Lincoln that, like, let's be honest, they've been kind of dead in the water most of the year. They haven't really done anything one way or the other, with the exception of like three or four players in their teams that have just been going off. Uh, but now they have a shot to realistically kind of get that last third spot. And all it takes is having one really good game. And if you have that one really good game, you could just shoot right on in get the uh get the win and then you're on to the next round there now that said i don't think it's going to terribly affect all too much uh what that next semifinal round is i think we all kind of know which two teams in each division are going to be you know who we're going to see in the next round unless they just have a bad game which is certainly possible but if you're just looking on paper then i mean it's pretty clear uh we know what the end result's going to be uh, at the end of the day I mean, a one-game playoff, though, at the end of the day, is literally a crapshoot. I mean, anything can happen. Fair. We've seen, we've seen it. We've seen it happen in, uh, in in Major League Baseball. I've always been a big fan of the wild card game, not just because, again, it's more of like I like rewarding teams for winning their division. Uh, and it's and while you're still bringing in more excitement, uh, I, I think I like rewarding teams who actually like win their division and so but yeah this makes it much more interesting for um a team like of course we, we mentioned Winnipeg earlier and and like Lincoln I mean Lincoln's now a game and a half out of a playoff spot which oh, uh, at the moment which is a complete game changer a complete game changer for them so um and and of course they're playing good baseball of late as well which shouldn't which shouldn't uh, go unnoticed either but you think so, Nick, you think this gives the Houston Apollos uh, something to play for down the stretch? Oh, yeah. All of a sudden, now, they're, they've just been removed from mathematically eliminated. They are back in the thick of things, in my mind. 
if they they're just back, they're back in it. Yeah, if they just win out and like the top few teams in front of them lose out, they're set. <laughs> but yeah, can, can can they make can they make the playoffs with single digit wins? We will have to find out. Oh God, help us! Like before we move on, though, I do want to just toss one thing on here to the American Association. I understand that you're primarily motivated by ticket sales. I totally get that. I respect that. But for the love of God, please, for your two playing games, I know they're both going to be on September 8th. Please start them at different start times. That's all I'm going to ask you is to please start them at different start times. It's already a Tuesday after like, I think it's a Tuesday. It's either a Tuesday or a Wednesday after Labor Day. Please put them at different start times. It could be like 6 o'clock and 7 o'clock. That'd be fine by me. I just want to be able to kind of flick between two games and not have them end at practically the same time. Just please separate them a little bit like that. I understand what markets are going to host these games have a large effect. I know it's a lot simpler than just saying these are the start times, but please try to keep like some sort of gap in between them. For those of us that are paying for AA Baseball TV, we'd like to watch both games or at least a decent bit of each game. I agree with that, yeah. So uh, with that, we'll go to the Frontier League preview. This one, I have no idea how long this preview is going to take. It could take an hour. It could take two hours. It could take five days because there's a lot of action in this league. We'll just kind of jump in with the Atlantic Division, which has probably been the most uh, hard-fought division so far. And then we'll just kind of go down, I guess, in alphabetical order, because that's how Point Streak lists it, and it's probably just the easiest way of doing this. So with that said, Tri-City, you're up first, because you are in first place in the division. Uh, you are 30-30, and 30, so even 500. They are on a two-game winning streak at the moment. They are 6-4 and four in their last 10 as of Thursday morning when we were recording this. And they have had a tremendous turnaround after P.D. Cogvillia about a month ago said... Nah, I don't like this roster. I'm going to dump it and just restart it from scratch. And since then, they have done extremely well. Yeah, extremely well. And listen, their record is still 30-30, and 30 and we, we've talked about uh, the Valley Cats a ton on this show. I mean, they've been an absolutely fascinating story this year. Uh, but what's really changed in a big way has been their lineup. I mean, they re- their lineup really underperformed uh, to start the year. And instead of waiting for a turnaround, they just axed like the bottom, uh, like the bottom five, six guys in, the, in that lineup, and just brought in and brought in new guys, and they really, really worked. Uh, I mean, for example, the trade for Willie Garcia yeah. completely worked out. It's completely worked out. He's in two eighty three, uh, five home runs. Has really cut down on uh, on the strikeouts. Um, and I mean, Dennis Fitz is hitting a lot better now than he was early on in the season. Juan Silverio has continued, um, his great performance. And it's just the guys that they, Pete and Cavillia has brought in have really done, have really done well. They're, they're hitting for a lot of power as a team. Now, it's not all good because the pitching has struggled. Uh, the, the pitching has struggled for them. Uh, specifically, uh, you know, the, the starting pitching has been a little bit uh, inconsistent for them, uh, of course. But I, I think, like overall, there, there are some good things. Specifically, of course, the uh, their closer, Nick. You want to do the honors? Oh, you mean you're talking about the law firm of Trey Cochran Gill? The law firm of Trey Cochran Gill 
indeed. He's been great. Uh, he, he's been great uh, in this bullpen as well as um, as well as Jimenez uh, in the back end of that bullpen as well. But I mean, pitching 490 ERA as a team, uh, so they're going to be in a dogfight down the stretch. They've been in first base, first place here for a little bit, albeit not with a big lead, especially with um, uh, a kick. To, uh, I, I can't see. I'm just going to yeah. say Quebec. You can say it. I can't Keep say Quebec. it. Quebec? Yes, I, I can't say it. You said it. Um, but we'll see with the Olympics coming to a close. Does the roster change? We'll have to see. Uh, and and so, the, it's a, of course, the entire division is separated by three games. But So Tri-City's probably the best team at the moment, but uh, certainly far from over in that race. Yeah, no, it's far from over, like you said. Uh, guys like Hyatt, Klein, they have been really, uh, have been very, very good, uh, as starters so far. Parker Kelly's another guy who hasn't been bad, although he's had a couple of rough starts. Uh, obviously, the law firm's been great. He's leading the team in ERA and in strikeouts too, by the way. So important thing to note there. The guy also has 15 saves. He doesn't really do anything wrong, quite frankly. I'm surprised he's still here, but hey, if he's here, well, you will certainly talk about him. Likewise, from the batting side, and some of the more unsung hero, heroes, including Phipps and Silvario, who we know about, Campos, very solid guy, batting over 300. He finds a way to not really even strike out all that much, only 14 strikeouts on the year, and over almost 120 uh, or 190 uh, at-bats there. Uh, Zucchina, or Z- uh, Zunica, he's batting again over 360 in about 33 games, so not exactly a small sample size. He's done very well. Even a guy like Molina's played fairly well, batting a roughly 270, got six home runs. That's pretty solid from him. So overall, a lot of these moves that were pulled off uh, by Inconvilia have really worked out, and I kind of expect them to win the division now. I think in the past I said Quebec was going to win it. Obviously, the Olympics hurt them. I'll be interested to see, like you said, Will, when the Olympics come to a close, if that'll help them out, if maybe Tri-City could slow down, or Rockland's just, like I said, they're they're doing exactly what I said they were going to do, and like we all thought they were going to do, which is go slightly under 500. And on that note, we'll talk about them now, 28-32 and 32 for the New York Boulders that will continue to be referred to as the Rockland Boulders because that's just kind of how... Uh, Things are now. Uh, two games back of the division lead. Are on a four-game winning streak, though, so good for them. Which, outside of that, they lost the six games prior to that four-game winning streak there. This has been a real kind of up-and-down team. They are taking advantage of beating up on uh, New Jersey, I will say that. Which is always helpful. Uh, there's, there's guys here that hit. I don't really think there's too many of those types of guys, though. There's Sunberg, there's Mitchell, there's Ramis, there's our guy Tucker Nathans, and there's Kurtley, and that's roughly it. There's a couple other guys that are doing okay, but pitching-wise, it's been, you know, just a struggle across the board in Indy Ball. As far as they're concerned, they got, like, really, I'd say two guys you trust out of the bullpen, and then it really becomes who's who on the uh, starting side. Yeah, for sure. I think that's the main issue. I mean, they ha- they certainly have some bats uh, that have performed that that have performed this year. Um, and again, they're still very much in the race, even though uh, you know we kind of expected them to to be a little bit just slightly under 500. So that that hasn't been surprising. 
It hasn't helped them. They've lost some of their better arms. Like Brian Rapp had a really good stint there uh, before he, before he ended up getting picked up by the Blue Jays and uh, and, and heading to Vancouver there. But uh, Wachanski has been solid as a, as a rookie. He's been uh, he's been he's really represented a solid pickup for them. Uh, but you know, I think overall they've they're they're starting pitching at least at this point. It's kind of struggled. They brought uh, they they just brought in Nate Rowe. Uh, who's been, who's really, really struggled, uh, over, over his first five starts, uh, numbers not looking very good there. Uh, you know, I mean, it's tough because, I mean, Nate Rowe, I thought was pretty much retired. Yeah. He was. I thought he was working with Somerset and then I just saw him get signed out of nowhere. Yeah. And I uh, I guess he is not, but it has not gone well. Why? Because in 22 and a third innings, which is really like five starts. He's given up 27 earned runs. And, yeah, I mean, he's almost giving up two hits an inning, which is really not. And seven yeah. strikeouts in 22 innings is not good. So, right. so there's uh, a little the, rust. The, 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 the larger point, uh, the the boulders pitching has, has not been very good. And um, and that's been – I mean, there's been some decent arms in their bullpen, I think. But yeah. uh, but overall, they're an offensive-heavy team that is probably going to stay that way down the stretch. Yeah, I mean Schneider's been very good, uh, sub two ERA in twenty-one innings, and he has a decent little bit of strikeouts, fifteen. So I mean, not you know getting everyone out by that way, but he can do it. Alexander's been good; he's gotten a lot of usage, almost twenty-eight innings for him. Mullery has over thirty. I mean, granted, his ERA is over four and it's higher than normal, but. A lot of usage still. Burton's around Mullery's number in less innings. Uh, but yeah, really, that's the thing that kind of gets me here. Because they're not out of this division. Their batting has kept them in it. And if they could just get like a little bit better on the pitching side, they'd be right in it. The one thing I want to know here is, let's say you're in a tie-breaking game, which there's a lot of procedures to avoid that from happening for obvious reasons, but... If you had came down to the last game of the year and you need to win it to go to the postseason, who exactly are you sending out on that mount? Warshavsky's like the obvious pick, and he has an ERA of over four. And I gotta be honest, I'd probably just say, you know what? Why don't we try and make this a bullpen day? Go out, give us three innings, and then we're gonna try and get like two out of Alexander. Another inning out of Mullery, maybe Burton, and then some point in there working Schneider when we think we need to go to him. And I just can't see that being a real recipe for success. Definitely not. Definitely not. Um, especially in the series, but, you know, they have to get there, they have to get there first. Yeah. Uh, so, but I, I, would, I would probably agree that, that in that scenario, that would probably be the Yeah. So that, that just gives me a lot of pause. So. We'll see what happens with the Boulders, but on that note, we do go to the final team in the Atlantic Division. Equipe Quebec, who did return home last week to the great province of Quebec, and they have done okay. You know, I'm not going to say they're they're lighting the world on fire, because they're not. They dropped a handful of games there, and they dropped another one last night, uh, 10-9 to Tri-City. Granted, again, that was a a late-inning kind of fall apart there. So not exactly great, but at the same time, though, they have had a decent year to this point, especially for being a traveling team. As you guess, it's a bit of a trend. They can find guys that can hit. Uh, Pellier, 
uh, Castro Glued or Glad, I can never pronounce his name correctly. Really, Para, Panis, even Ngope has not been terrible. They all been hitting Para, especially. He has 10 home runs while batting 284. So he's done really, really well. There's guys here that are doing really, really well. And then you look at the pitching, and then again, this is going to be the kind of theme of the day as it's been for each of these previews. Guys come in, they pitch, and then there's issues. There's really, again, bullpen eyes. I'm looking at them. Guys are doing decent. Case, Monteskello, Schill, Rzynski. It's again how I think Evan's name is pronounced, but it's always tough to pronounce his name. Uh, even Knapp hasn't been bad. There, a lot of these guys aren't terrible, but then you look into the guys that are really kind of like they're dedicated starters, and it's like, okay, 4.33, 4.39. Uh, then there's really no other dedicated starters here. There's guys that have started three or four games. There's Gautier who's gotten into six games as a starter. It really kind of turns into kind of a let's couple something together here to find starters. And that's, again, like we just finished saying with Rockland, not exactly a method for success. And especially if you get into a series where you got to win it, say like a playoff series or like a do-or-die series like we're going to be getting into in, say, a week or two, you need to have two or three starters that can confidently go out there on the mound and win you a game or give you six or seven innings. So that way you can kind of let those really good bullpen arms rest. And they have not managed to do that, and that is going to be an issue. Yeah, and I'll cut them up right here, I mean, because it's really hard uh, to put together a traveling team. And, and honestly, I think they've done a really good job doing what they can uh, in that sense. But with pretty much every traveling team, the pitching is going to struggle. Uh, and this really isn't any different here. I mean, out of the guys who have been consistently starting games for them the whole year, um, top ERA here is 4.33. So, yeah. um, for, for Fuego. So, uh, it's not, uh, definitely, definitely not ideal. Um, and even though they have, re- they have returned home, you know, a lot of the roster is still, <laughs> is still pretty similar. Uh, offensively, they, they certainly have their bright spots. Um, <clears throat> I would have liked to see a little bit more from, from Gifton Gope considering his, his pedigree. Uh, I think he's been kind of meh so far. I, I think, Quebec would, it would be really helpful for them if he could start, if he could start hitting better. Uh, and that would, that would help them really get back in this race. But, you know, they're, they're struggling right now. Um, and, and, and the pitching is a bit, is a big reason why. I mean, returning home only helps so many things. And we've, we've kind of seen that. So we've kind of seen that from them. And it's just like the pitching depth, like a lot of teams is, is kind of, let them down a little bit, and but you know what? There's still only still only three games back, so still still very much in it if they can get hot. Absolutely, they they sir are like you said, well, very much in it at 27 and 33. Even with the four game losing streak, they're still four and six in their last ten, so they still are very much in it, especially in this division. So with that, we'll go to the next division, the Central Division, which is led off by the Schomburg Boomers. These only the sole 
500 team in this division. They are 34 and 27, 6 and 4 in their last 10, which I think I may just stop saying last 10 because that's going to be pretty irrelevant by the time that this releases, seeing as there'll be, what, two or three games in between uh, when we record this and releasing it. So we'll, we'll just kind of state the record as it stands today at this point. Uh, Any coup couple of really nice bats on this team uh dawson's a guy that jumps out to me and nightport's another guy who honestly when we get to the end of this maybe my pick for mvp because he's had a really solid year he's batting 344 in 46 games 14 home runs 50 rbis struck out about 18 times in 186 at bats doesn't steal bases but hey when you're doing what you're doing with the bat you don't need to uh at all Dawson, again, like I said, he was a guy that's done well. Not quite as good as Nyport, but certainly well. Uh, Botcher, again, another 300 bat. Uh, he's doing well, too. Uh, McGarry's not doing too bad, either, and that's about where the bats kind of end for Schaumburg. But what I will say is their pitching is not really that bad. They have some decent arms. Uh, Nickel has done well. Uh, Arjoya, I believe is how that's going to be pronounced is got a sub two and a half ERA. He's certainly one of the better pitchers in this league. They had Rodriguez for eight starts, who was like our, our, our little mine for the roundup of the week, pitcher of the week and back-to-back weeks before he got picked up by the Twins. So they find a way to get pitching. Even uh, they have other guys here, like Remington's not bad either. Middeldorf or Middendorf is far from a bad pitcher as well. There's some really talented starting pitching on this team. And as you can see, that's really worked to their advantage. I mean, hell, you could very well argue one of their worst starters in Dean. He's still very good at a 3.95 ERA. So this is certainly a very strong team. I agree. I think that the teams that are going to be good down the stretch and really contending for the title our teams who are really strong pitching wise and Schaumburg is certainly that. At least offensively, um, they, they, they look more like a small ball type of team. They don't hit for a ton of power. Only, uh, 49 home runs in 61 games as a, as a team to this point. So, but, you know, they still hit 263 as a team. A little bit more of that small ball type of, um, and type of team. They like to run a lot. Uh, you look at guys like Craig who are, uh, you, you, you look at guys, um, like Alec Craig, who are 24, 24 for 27 in stolen bases this year. I mean, or you could look at, uh, or you could look at Dawson, who's 15 for 15 in stolen bases. So they like to run, they like to play a little bit of small ball, and it's helped their, it's helped their offense be definitely good enough, uh, to, to, to really play in this, in, in this league. Now you look at their pitching. I mean, their pitching has been excellent. Uh, it's been really, really, really good. And, uh, and I think that that's really going to help them as we get closer to the playoffs. They're starting rotation. They have a lot of depth, like you mentioned. Uh, the bullpen has been good. I mean, a 354 ERA as a team is a really strong number. Uh, and that's going to win them a lot of games. And, you know, given the other teams in this division who are, who really aren't great. I mean, Schaumburg is clearly the best team and, and certainly with this pitching, they can, I believe that they can really contend, uh, contend for a title. They'll be in it to the end. Oh, absolutely. I, they're going to almost certainly win the division and their only obstacle really, I think, because I look at the other side and we'll talk about the, obviously we know about the Atlantic division. So we'll talk about the Northeast division in a minute, 
But getting through either Florence or Evansville is going to be tough for them. But if they can do that, I really do like their odds to win a championship. That said, the second place team in the Central is the Lake Erie Crushers. And that is where we go now. 29-32 and so far on the season. Uh, They're a team that, well, they they don't really hit too well. I'm just going to be honest here. There's a grand total of three, four guys batting above... I wanted to say 260, but no, really, like 250. There's four guys, Betancourt, Kraft, Achenbach, and then uh, Bernard. Really, only two of those guys really coming up here. Uh, obviously, the first pick in the disposal draft in Trevor Achenbach uh, is one of them. He's having himself a very solid year, batting 294, 10 home runs. Got uh, a lot of strikeouts in with almost 50 of them, but... He's still managing to get on base enough to justify it. And he's really kind of driving the offense alongside uh, Bernard. And that it really, like I said, it really kind of goes here. Like, I suppose you could argue small ball again. They got 57 stolen bases on the year and they've only been caught 10 times. So they've got some skill in that regard. But outside of that, there really is kind of nothing here offensively. And I think that's hurting them. Pitching-wise, too, they're just not quite good enough to be able to pull that off. Although, they aren't a bad pitching team. They have some really nice relievers like Nitt, Walda, Curtis, Perez. All these guys, really solid relievers. And they all have sub-2.8 ERAs. Suggs is another guy who's not bad. Uh, He's got a 360 ERA. Then you get to your starters and Johnson and among others who all are over 360 for their ERAs. And like I said, they're not bad. I mean, like their last like kind of real dedicated starter as an ERA over six. So, I mean, like Grant, you know, that's not exactly where you want to be. But I, you could overcome it if the offense was just a bit better. And then that's the problem for them. They really haven't been able to hit. They haven't been able to hit uh, really for, for power or for average hitting 240 as a team. Just 41 homers in 61 games. I mean, they only have one guy uh, in double digits uh, for home runs, and he only has 10, so just, just barely over that mark. I, so I'm not going to harp on the offense too much since you did a lot of that. Their pitching's been really solid. It's the reason that they're kind of near the 500 mark. Uh, the starting rotation certainly isn't great, but what is good about this team is the bullpen has been excellent. Uh, it's been a really, really good group out of the bullpen. Um, I'm sure that's won them a lot of games. You're looking for your starters to probably get you out, give you five solid innings and, and then you can turn it over to this bullpen. Uh, you can turn it over to this bullpen to try and get 12 outs or 12 outs or nine outs. Uh, and they've been successful in doing just that. So, uh, the bullpen has been really strong for this Lake Erie team. The starting rotation has been meh, and the offense has been really bad. But, you know, and that puts you uh, right about where the record says they should be. Uh, and not not as good as a team like Schaumburg. Not not a bad team by any stretch, uh, but 29-32 and 32 at the moment, that's, that's about right for, for, for a team like Lake Erie. Yeah, for a team that's, you know, kind of as bipolar as this team is with the could on one aspect bad on the other aspect and when it comes together they're really good when it's really bad and they're really bad that's a pretty good way of putting it we go to windy city the thunderbolts now uh they are currently 25 and 36 
So not exactly what you'd like to see out of them. You'd want to see more out of them, but far from the worst team in the division. Uh, this is a team that I think we were kind of high on. We said that there's some some players on here where if they come through, they could really be a solid team. And now, well, they have come through. I mean, there's, they're not god-awful batting-wise. I mean, you got Calabrese, who is batting 311, seven home runs there. Zach Rakuzin, he's not really a power guy, but he's getting 282. We, we knew that coming in. Uh, so 17 stolen bases, caught eight times, but not great. Uh, Peyton Isaacson, another dude who's done really well. Uh, Robinson, another guy who's done well. Uh, there's, there's guys here. There's certainly guys here. And then you look at the, at the pitching aspect of this, which is something we said, I believe, when we first talked about them at the very beginning of the year, the pitching's gonna be the team that's gonna be important for them. And they started losing guys, like Belair was one of the guys they lost. And we said they're gonna have to continue to pitch well if they want to, you know, continue to win games. And that, I don't wanna say it hasn't happened, but it hasn't happened on the level that they really needed to. Again, like Thornton's been doing well as a starter. Asua's been doing well as a starter. Even Matthews has not been terrible. I mean, high fours ERA, but you could survive it. It's just there really isn't terribly much else here. I mean, you could kind of point towards Willie, I guess, as well. He's done very well as a starter. But, I mean, there's there's guys that are here, but just not enough from them. Yeah, I think that uh, the pitching, certainly, we knew that this was going to have to be the strength of this team if they were going to make a run. And, you know, they've been fine. They've been probably a little bit above average, but unfortunately, I think uh, for a team, for this team, like Wendy City to make a run, they're going to need, uh, little, they're going to need, like, Schaumburg type pitching be in the, into the playoff race. And they haven't, you know, and it's not so much, it's not so much the pitching's fault. Uh, but because, I mean, the reason that they are where they are in the standings at 25, and uh, 36 at the moment. I mean, it is their offense. I use small ball in some, in somewhat of a, a positive sense uh, in some ways. Uh, but I mean, for Windy City, they have 25 home runs in 61 games. That's really not good. Yeah. At all. And home runs certainly are not the end all be all. And but they're also hitting 247 as a team. That's not a good mark. I mean, they're getting production from guys like Calabrese and, uh, and Zach Ricuse and, uh, even a guy, um, even, even new signing Rob Weishire, uh, Hofstra alum, played on the Hofstra baseball team this past year, was probably one of our better hitters. Got to shout him out. Um, he's doing pretty well so far. Uh, but, but yeah, there's just not really a lot in this lineup. And, uh, and that's and that's why they are where they are in the standings. I and mean, the pitching's been solid, just just really getting next to nothing um, from this lineup on a daily basis, and that's that's what's hurting them. Yeah. Which just to go to the home run point, the league leader for home runs is Rockland slash New York at sixty six. Around middle of the pack is right around fifty forty nine in Schaumburg, forty eight in New Jersey, forty four in Sussex County. Those are pretty much like your middle area teams. 25 puts Windy City at dead last. The next closest being Southern Illinois, uh, which is at 34. So just not really, you know, much there. Even when you want to look at hits for the team, as a team, they're fourth from the bottom. They're under 500 hits. Now, granted, there's a lot of teams that are under 500 hits, but they just aren't, uh, they aren't hitting. 
That's for this, well, not hitting for a lot of run support, at least, and not in a meaningful way. But they are ahead of the last place team in hits, the Joliet Slammers. Uh, this has just kind of been a rough year for them. 22 and 39. I think you could say definitively out of the playoff race. In case you're wondering, their hit total as a team, that is 456 hits through uh, 61 games. Someone can do the math to tell me uh, how many hits per game that is. The answer is going to be not many. Uh, there just really isn't much. Their leading batter by average is batting under 270. Either you could very well argue their best hitter is still that 270 hitter. I mean, four home runs for him. He's, I think that puts him at second on the team in home runs behind Davidson, who's really a power hitter, I think is how you could say. 11 home runs, batting under 240. That screams a power hitter to me. I mean, there's other guys here. I mean, there's some guys batting under 200 that have eight home runs and four home runs, which, I mean, the eight home run guy, I can see why you'd keep him around, but you're batting under 200 with only four home runs. It doesn't seem like a good use of a roster space, but hey, to each their own. As far as pitching goes, uh, you know, it's there, there's some guys here. Charpy's doing well. Samuel's doing well. Roycroft's doing not bad. There's guys. There's some guys, but there's just, like I said, not enough guys, you know? Yeah, I think that's, that's a good way to put it. I mean, offensively, they've been, I mean, well, their team in general really, really, really strong this year. Um, big time. And offensively, I mean, they hit 230 as a team. Like, that's pretty much all I have to say about that. Uh, it's, it's been a rough year for them offensively. When you have that few of base runners, uh, during a game, it's, you're not going to score many runs, not going to win many games. It's just as simple as that. I mean, the pitching, as far as on the pitching side of things, it, it hasn't been terrible. Uh, I mean, it's probably still a below average group. It's probably still a below average group overall. They have, um, the bullpen's not, the, the bullpen is pretty solid. I would say overall, they're back like, uh, the back four or five arms in that bullpen are, are pretty decent, but I mean, the starting pitching is kind of below average at best. And, and to go with a team that really doesn't score runs, you know, that's, that's why they're 22 and 39. So, uh, it's definitely been a tough year, uh, in Joliet. I'd say probably, uh, well, they have the worst record in the Frontier League. So, and, and I think that's probably, an accurate assumption of saying they probably are the worst team uh, in the Frontier League. So just just been a really tough year for them overall, and they just they just don't score enough runs to to really be competitive with a lot of these better teams, and even in their own division to be competitive with a team like Schaumburg. Yeah, which one thing I will say is interesting about them: their team ERA is only two points worse. Like they're at four point six seven. The team above them at four point six five. It's the Florence Yalls. Like that, I just find that very interesting. That they're really not that dissimilar on that front, at least. And they're considerably better than some of the other teams that are underneath them. I mean, hell, New Jersey's nearly a full point higher. Like a full 1.0 higher. So, I mean, that that's an interesting thing there. I mean, even like opponent batting average is under 250. So, I mean, like, it's okay. Um... 
even like like runs allowed, they're up there. They're they're the fifth most runs allowed at three eleven. But like I, they're not they're not god awful pitching wise. So I'll say that much. Like if they could just hit for league average, or even just below league average, they could be a decent team. It's just they're not getting any offense. Like team batting wise, they're just not. Like you can look at it any way you want. They're they're not getting it. But I there's avoid harping on it we have other teams we need to cover we're done with the central division so we'll move on to the northeast division and talk about the top team in the northeast and i believe the second best team in the league in the sussex county Miners, 37 and 27 they really haven't slowed down with the exception of one kind of off week in i think it was july that they they had but they have done extremely well um they had one little hiccup with uh Washington, but they've done well. They've done really well. And you want to look at uh, their team? Well, we said this going into the preview. I said it. You said it, Will. Dave said it. Everybody said it. It's a monster team. And they have proven that. A guy like Jackie Urbias, where I was like, I don't really see why the team picked him up in the disposal draft. Not Sussex County, a different team picked him up. He's never hit. He's hitting. He's batting about 300. Johnson hitting about 300. Kelly, uh, yeah, Juan Kelly, uh, 322. Chuck Taylor, 333. Martin Figueroa, always good, batting 359. You know, they get home runs from this group too. Five home runs here, six home runs here, three there, five there, three here, four there, six here. They just kind of come in bunches with them. And there really isn't a weak spot on this team. Even a guy like Cito Culver, who's long had a knock of he can't hit, but he could field in a major league level. He's kind of hitting now, which is, again, kind of surprising he's here. I guess it's kind of an age thing at this point. And also, nobody really needs uh, position players at the moment. They're going to be harder to get purchased than pitchers. But, yeah, they're they're doing great on the offensive side. You want to switch over to the pitching side. Miller, a sub-1 ERA of 0.58. Pretty damn good in 31 innings. You have other guys, 1.21 in Media Villa, Michael Media Villa. Another guy just great out of the bullpen. Marshall's a newer guy, but he's done well. Uh, Billy Lane Jr.'s done extremely well as a starter. Sonier's done well as a starter in a bullpen line, kind of a swing guy. Uh, Herman's done well as a starter. I'll say that, then it starts to admittedly get a little bit rough. Uh, I'll say that much, but... Overall, this is far, far from a bad team because they are clearly doing extremely well. And while their pitching may not be top of the line, their batting certainly is. And that's going to be good enough to uh, kind of win them this division. Yeah, I mean, the Miners are a powerhouse team. We kind of knew this from the beginning. And they have lived up to expectations. And like you mentioned, this lineup just absolutely wakes from top to bottom. And even some of the guys that... They kind of struggled to begin the season. Guys like uh, Siriaco and Culver, who were kind of mad to start the season, they're picking it up now, and and they're scoring a ton of runs because of it. Martin Figueroa, why the card, why the Cardinals ever released him after after the season he put up back in 2019 with them in the minor leagues, I believe in uh, I believe with uh, in the New York Penn League, he was an All Star there, and somehow yeah. that wasn't good enough for him to stay in the organization. I have no idea. Uh, the miners aren't complaining. He's been awesome. He's walked more than he struck out. Uh, he, he's just had a great, great season, uh, for them. 
honestly one of my one of my potential picks for player of the year uh in the frontier league as well chuck taylor has an, has had an outstanding year uh also hitting 336 showing off a little bit of power six home runs and i think you made a good point about the power while overall um, I mean, 44 home runs in 60 games isn't great. You're getting a lot of guys that are just sprinkling in power that can that can leave the yard throughout the lineup, and I think that that makes for for a dangerous team. And you know, and, and as a, and for the most part, their lineup is stick together personnel wise, and that certainly helped them as well. Uh, and for pitching, they're not elite, I don't think, in that sense. They're they're still a, a good group, an above average group, certainly. Overall, Billy Lane Jr. is a guy I liked watching in that in the Somerset Pop Up League last year. Glad to see uh, he's doing well uh, in that in a full time starting role. But um, the full, back end of the bullpen is just is completely lethal with Miller and Media Vita. Uh, it's 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 a really good group. Uh, it's a really good team, and there's a reason that they're essentially on cruise control. For the playoffs, and, and you feel bad for a team like uh, like Washington, who's uh, we'll get into certainly next. Uh, but Washington's had a solid year. It's just that Suffolk has been that good, and um, with the second best record in the league, and they'll be Suffolk County will be competing uh, for for a title certainly. Yeah, no, they they got to be the favorite to come out of their half of the league. You mentioned Washington. They had a slow start, but they have gotten really good as of late. I know I said I wouldn't mention this, but 8-2 and two in their last 10 coming into Thursday, 32-29 uh, and 29 in their overall in the season, five and a half back of the Miners. So they are certainly still in the middle of things. They've had some really good batting. Braylon Jackson batting 310 on the year. Casanova batting 309 on the year. Both those guys seven and five home runs respectively. Hector Roa at eight home runs batting 297. Another 297 guy in Ward. He's got only three home runs, but he also has 19 stolen bases. So it kind of levels itself out. Uh, Campagna, he's batting 370, or not 373, he's batting 273, uh, and he has nine home runs there. So this is clearly a team that can hit the ball pretty far, and honestly, it's got a little bit of speed. Jackson has 11 stolen bases, too. As a team, they got uh, 84 of them, although they've been caught stealing 40 times, so they definitely play an aggressive brand of baseball, uh, certainly. So overall, though, they, they are a team that gets on base, they score some runs, they're an exciting team to watch. That much is a guarantee here. Pitching-wise, even, they're not a bad team there. Uh, Kubiak, Meeker's done very well in th- about 32 innings. as zero ERA, 43 strikeouts, only 10 walks, 17 hits. So not quite Peyton Gray numbers, but he's certainly doing very well. Uh, that much is for certain. They have a couple other really solid bullpen arms, but Henny's been doing really well, or Hainan has been doing really, really well. I think is how his name is actually pronounced. 37 innings and 10 starts. Sub uh, 3 ERA. Cologne's done well. My guy Darren Osby, who I really, really like as a starter. And Mills, both of them, about 3.5 on their ERAs. Uh, they also strike out a lot of guys. This is honestly a really well-put-together team and the kind of team I really wish there was a wild card for. Because I'd love to see this team in the postseason, but I just don't think they're going to find five and a half games on Sussex County. I think if they're in a different division, if they were like, let's say you switch them in Lake Erie around, 
I'd love their odds of making the postseason, but in this division, I think it's just going to be too tough, too tough to swing. Yeah, unfortunately for Washington, in our preview show back in, even at the time we thought New Jersey was going to be a, a good team, and certainly that has not turned out to be the case for them. But I think that Washington, Washington's roster uh, is really good. I mean, the, the, the lineup is certainly solid. They like to run. You mentioned uh, they, they hit for a decent amount of power. Um, even guys like uh, like like Braylon Jackson has, has really stepped up in this lineup. Hit for a little bit of power, hitting three ten. Casanova, Roa, uh, just a really solid lineup from top to bottom. And, and their pitching staff um, has been excellent, really. Again, it's not quite Peyton Gray numbers, fine, but I mean, anytime you can have a literal ERA of zero. That's like an incredible, incredible stat. Uh, of course, talking about James Meeker out of that bullpen. So we'll see. I, I don't know why he's still here either, but you know, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll have to see. But the starting rotation has been, has been, has been good overall. Um, Mackenzie Mills, a guy I was pretty high on coming into the year, has had a good year. 3.47 ERA in 12 starts. Of course, Nick, uh, Nick mentioned Osby. Uh, just a really good pitching team in general, a 3.57 ERA. As a team, you you almost wonder, uh, you know, have they lost in close games? Uh, you, you look at this roster and you think they should be, they should have a better record uh, than than what they do, and so th- that's that's the thing you wonder a little bit about them. They are thirty two and twenty nine. They're red hot. I mean, they've won eight, eight of the last ten. Uh, they've been a really good team of late. They got off to a little bit of a rough start, but uh, but certainly a good team that. Unfortunately, is in the wrong division, and it sure has been. You're in a you're in a division with Sussex County and and even New Jersey. In most years, the margin for error is so small. Uh, it, it's so small, and Washington finding that out the hard way. But it's still still a good roster, still a fun team to watch for sure, though. Yep, absolutely. And on that note, we'll go to the New Jersey Jackals, uh, a disappointing team to this point in the year, twenty six and thirty three, ten and a half back of uh, the miners i don't want to say the season's over for them because we do still have a little over uh, a month to play but they are certainly running out of time very quickly and pitching and batting wise it's been about the same they've been one of if not the worst pitching teams in the league but we'll get to that in a minute uh batting wise there's some guys here Uh, combs is batting 284 he's doing fairly okay uh Olive's doing well batting 296 yep eight home runs there Todd Isaacs is doing well Agresti's doing well both of them batting 324 uh Agresti actually has seven home runs tacked onto that Chirino's oh he's being Santiago Chirino only gotten in 36 games so far so I assume there was an injury issue or something like that there, but he's automatic for when he's playing. He's not going to hit for power, but he's going to get on base, which is really what you look for there. But a lot of other guys just not performing, plus losing. Uh, Marte was huge. Alfredo Marte leaving from Mexico is going to be a real kind of crushing blow there. Uh, there's a lot of other guys here, like at least with Demetrius Moore, 
He's not going to hit for power. No one's going to expect that from him. But he has 36 walks on the year. He's only batting 239, but he's going to find a way to try to be productive. When he's on the base path, he's stolen 23 bases. So it's not like he's just kind of a pedestrian out there. He's doing things. But there's other guys here that have gone into, you know, 40 games, 40 or more games, and not really doing terribly much. And that's going to be an issue for them no matter what way you want to cut it. And then, like I said, when you go to the pitching aspect of all of this, you, well, there's really not terribly much to really point to. Corrales has done well. Brammer's done well. Vogel's done well. And that's about where the line kind of begins to end. Those three bullpen guys have always been really good, though. Uh, Zargowski and Weinberg, or Weinberger, uh, they've got ERAs around four, a little over four. They've done okay out of the bullpen, but... Starting pitching-wise, it's just been not good. Spencer Hereford, not been good. I want to say that's Milch, not good. Tessator, disappointing year at an ERA of five. All the guys before that that I mentioned, ERA worse than five. It just hasn't really worked out. You just see like a graveyard of attempted starters when you're looking at their point streak page for all the all the players they had. They just dealt Chase Ingram. I want to say he got dealt the high point, which is kind of surprising that Chase Ingram's going to high point with an ERA of 5.78. You go to an offensive league like the Atlantic League with a higher or more developed layer level of player. It's an interesting call, but hey, yeah, that's that's their decision on that. Uh, so I'm a bit surprised about that, but okay. But yeah, overall, uh, this is a, uh, they probably could get by if the pitching was better, but this pitching is just terrible. Like I said, I believe they actually are at the worst ERA in the league at about a 560. It's a 5.59, but yeah, it's rough. Yeah, I mean, the start of the positives, the offense certainly isn't bad. You mentioned Demetrius Moore, they need more from him. Uh, this team was going to go anywhere, but I mean, Santiago Chirino does what Santiago Chirino does. Which is, he gets on base a lot, uh, great contact hitter. And, uh, I mean, guys like Jason Agresti have, have been a really solid, uh, bat behind the plate. I mean, overall hitting 274 as a team, you'll certainly take that. Uh, and, but, you know, it's just the pitching, it's just so, so, so bad. It's been, it's been so bad. I mean, you know, when you're giving up, um, you know, six runs a game, you're just not going to win many games and the the bigger issue is definitely just the starting pitching is they tried a lot of guys it hasn't worked um guys that they expected a lot from that have even been good uh, in the can-am league before um and it just hasn't worked i mean an era 5.59 as a team has been really rough even guys like john hayes who i thought were going to be a lot better uh with the jackals just it just didn't work and uh, and the pitching is really just uh, just a, a rough group uh, in, in general. And that's when you have pitching that, even though the offense is good, uh, and even even when they lost Alfredo Marte, as much of a stud as he is, uh, the the offense has still been pretty good. But the pitching has just been so bad. I think that's it's what's really holding them back. And you know, and and the ja- you don't really expect it from a team like the Jackals that. Is so accustomed to winning. I mean, we're, we're used to seeing the Jackals yeah. near the top of the standings in the playoffs, uh, every year. And 
we're just not seeing it this year. So definitely a disappointing year for them. Yep, absolutely. And so on that note, we'll go to uh, the division we thought was not going to be, I don't want to say we didn't think it was going to be a good division, but we didn't think it would be as competitive as it was, I think it's fair to say. And they have the best team in the league and the second best or third best team in the league with the Evansville Otters at 39 and 22. They are hot as of late, eight of their last 10. I know I said I wouldn't do it, but I'm doing it anyway. And they are a good team. There's just really no way around it. They are a good team. They're batting about 270 as a team. Uh, McAnamy's been very, very good. Six home runs, 335 uh, batting average. Davis been doing very good, 327 uh, batting average. Schultz, 318 batting average. DeJesus, 315. Uh, Mattis has done well, although eight games, so I'm, you know, put him aside. Riley Crane, though, has been very good. And Andrew Penner's turning into the player I thought he could be. Contact hitter, gets on base, draws some walks. Not too many, but not, doesn't strike out all that much either. So, I mean, that's, that's certainly a plus there. But 11 home runs from Crane, six from McAnamie and Davis, eight from Phillips. There's guys here that, you know, there's, they're probably not lighting up the scoreboard with home runs, but they're getting on base. They're, pushing runs across. They're playing an indie ball. So they are certainly a good team at the dish. Pitching-wise, they're also very good. And that's really, again, like we said, was going to be a theme here, and Lake's been proven over and over again. If you can pitch well, you will be set. And guys like O'Reilly that have come in kind of midway through, uh, six games started for him, 42 innings, 39 strikeouts, teen walks, so not bad at all. Nine earned runs, a 1.92 ERA. Spring's done well at the bullpen. Wright's done well at the bullpen. Anderson's been good in five starts. Scott's been good in eight starts. Holdinger's been good in 10 starts. So right there is four starters with a sub three and a half ERA. And then if you really want to keep going, you got a guy like Gossman, who's again, uh, a sub uh, four ERA for him. Portello, another sub four guy. These are all guys that have started uh, five or more games for them. So their starting pitching is very, very good, and you can see why that's going to help them. A guy like Logan Sawyer, uh, who I'm sure you're familiar with, Will, from his time in Lancaster, has done well, 16 saves for them. Really, you could keep going through Abathini, uh, another sub four arm. There's so many guys on this team that are doing so well that it's just kind of crazy. And you see that with the 3.72 team ERA. They're just a really, really good team. And uh, that makes them hard to beat when they can get runs and keep runs off the board. Yeah, Evansville has just had a, a really, really good season. Of course, the best record in the front two league kind of speaks for itself. Uh, but, I mean, offensively, you just got... You're not not a ton of weak links in this lineup. Most of the majority of this team is hitting over 270. That's going to help. They've kept the same group together in this lineup uh, for most of the season. Uh, I don't believe they've had a, a contract purchased out of this lineup. It's really going to help them as far as far as continuity. They're keeping the same group together, uh, and and they've been a good group overall, hitting nearly 270 as a team. Not a ton of power, uh, but. But certainly still a good lineup, uh, in general and pitching wise, they've just, they've, they've really had, um, there's just a ton of depth with this team, um, in, in the starting rotation, in the bullpen, and really just each guy that they continue to bring in, uh, whether it's in the starter or relief role has worked out. Uh, I mean, O'Reilly has certainly been, um, their the best starter while he's in there. 
a 1.92 ERA in six starts and, and 42 innings is a really strong number. Uh, the bullpen has been has been awesome. Uh, there's just so much depth, and I think that's the team. That's the thing that a lot of indie ball teams have been lacking this year. And uh, Evansville, with the pitching depth that they've been able to accrue over the season, this is why they are where they are right now. And w- with this pitching, they're certainly title they're title contenders. I think that goes without saying, considering the best team, they're the best record uh, in the league. Honestly, it's been a, a really really good season season for Evansville. And if they were in any other division in the uh, in the Frontier League, they would be comfortably into the playoffs. But there is one other team, and that other team is, of course, the Florence Yalls that are making this division extremely tough to win, a 37-25 and 25 record on a little bit of a winning streak as of recent. They are only two and a half games back of those Otters, and the Yalls have, in fact, been uh, one of the better teams in this league overall they've been fighting with the otters essentially since the end of june for first place in this division and they got a lot of really good players pintor sindo cramp uh, cramport uh, brower dina cola just some to name uh all of them are batting about 300 and crapport or cropport uh it's got 15 home runs uh, already up there at the top of the leaderboard in the league when it comes to power numbers, Axel Johnson, a dude that got cut from, I believe it was Gateway, six home runs for him, I believe, since joining the Yalls. And that, that alone is very impressive. Pitching-wise, they are also extremely impressive. They got Hughes, who's only had 16 innings or so, but an ERA under one and a half out of the bullpen. Doherty, or Dowtry, is, um, again, another guy, a sub two and a half out of the bullpen. Cheek, another guy that's been very solid, 41 innings for him, uh, 3 ERA. Uh, Overall, if you had to find a weak spot with this particular team, I'd say probably starting pitching. Guys like Hahn and Martinez are at ERAs above 5. When you want to look at starters that you can really rely on, I suppose you could go with Tripp, who has about an ERA of 4.75 and... uh, Villa Lobos, who had in 12 starts, has managed to get an area 3.40. So definitely the ace of this staff, but all in all, a very solid team uh, they have in Florence in the Yalls. Yeah, definitely. And the Yalls are just a case of you're just in the wrong division. And that's going to, that's what's going to make this race so exciting down the stretch for this division crown. I mean, offensively, I mean, it's a really strong lineup. Um, like you were mentioning, I mean, I mean, Clapboard has been really, really impressive this entire year, especially when you can provide that kind of offensive production uh, as a catcher. That's gonna that's gonna be tough to beat. I mean, he's hitting uh, hitting three twelve with fifteen home runs, and again, like from the catcher spot, that's like that's really, really impressive. Um, and, and of course, you mentioned Dina Cole and Brower as well. They're having so their offense, they're hitting. Just under 270 uh, as a team, 56 homers in 62 games. Um, so scoring, scoring runs definitely not a problem for this team. Uh, and like like you mentioned, as far as pitching, they have. Uh, I would agree that their starting pitching is a little bit of a concern for me. Uh, look at guys like Han and Martinez, uh, who both have ERAs around five. But you know, Theo Lobos has been uh, a really steady. Arm at the top of that rotation for the entire season. Thing that sticks out to me about him, he's only walked 14 guys in 71 innings. 
Uh, so that'll, that'll really help. Um, and the bullpen, the bullpen depth wise is very strong. And I think that that's, that's really propelled them to where they are in the standings right now. But, you know, unfortunately where they are in the standings right now is, is second place, um, behind a team like Evansville, who's, who's so good. And, uh, I mean, listen, I, I, we're, we're recording this on, on Thursday night. Uh, Evansville lost and, uh, and Florence won. So we've done the two games. So, uh, Florence is a really good team. It's going to be a really fun race between them and Evansville, uh, all the way to the finish line. It's going to come down probably to the end, to the last couple of weeks of the season. And it's a shame that one of these teams is not, is not going to end up in the playoffs. And it's in a team out of the Tri-City, New York and Quebec group is going to, is going to make it, which obviously is going to be, it's kind of a tough pill to swallow for a team like Florence. But I mean, overall, that's certainly a, a very, very good team now. And they'll be, they'll be in the second of playoff race. This is one of those spots where you really wish they had that same role we talked about earlier in the American Association in the Frontier League, because this is a kind of team that really, really should be at the very least having a playing game to get into the postseason. And to see them on the outside looking in with realistically no way into the postseason unless they can go through Evansville, in which case it'll be a sad state of affairs that Evansville is not in there. It's uh, it's unfortunate. And, you know, unfortunately one of them's going to have to miss, but they're not even out of the woods, both of those teams, because there is still a third team in this division that is very much still in the middle of things, and that would be the Southern Illinois Miners at 32-30, and 30, a real slow start to the year, a team that I'm pretty sure both you and I picked to go to the final, and I'm not sure if when we did our preview with Dave, he picked them to go to the final, but I want to say he was also fairly high on them. Although you could just go back and listen to that uh, Frontier League preview show to know for certain. But batting-wise, uh, this team really hasn't quite lived up to what it needed to be. Noah Early, uh, or Nolan Early, has just not been, has been one of the guys, rather, that's really been driving the bus offensively. Eight home runs, batting 317, 41 RBIs, has been really getting the job done, along with Walters batting 313. Not much power out of him, not much speed on the base paths out of him, but he is still managing to get on base, that much is for certain. Broncado's been fine at 283 batting average and seven home runs, so he provides uh, a lot of what Nolan Early uh, does as well, kind of a little bit lesser version, but that's certainly a useful uh, player to have. Uh, Jared Mang's also been fairly good as well, but you want to look outside of that, you got some other power uh, across the rest of the lineup here, but they're just not really coming through as a team here, batting 252 as a team, they're very top heavy. There's really three or four guys that you expect to do all the offense, and that's just never going to be a recipe for success. Uh, similarly, when you look at pitching wise, they're, they're getting results from a lot of guys, you know, 339 as a team. That's what their ERA is. And you got guys like Miller coming out of the bullpen, guys like, uh, Ledesma coming out of the bullpen, each over 20 innings, well over 20 innings in each case. And they have, ERAs of 1.54 and 1.74, respectively. Uh, Stelzer and 1.92 ERA out of the bullpen. Uh, then you just look at some of the starters here, and Craig Cunningham at 2.48 ERA in nine starts. 
a Schmidt who has a 332 ERA in eight starts in 10 games. Westcott, 3.75 ERA in 12 starts in 14 games played. Gunnar Kynes, a guy that started off the season real rough, but has since kind of come around 3.92 ERA in his 11 starts. So he's really starting to get back on pace as of recent. And then, of course, there is uh, Michael Austin, who has a no-hitter under his belt this year, a 4.32 ERA, kind of bring up the back end of that rotation in his 10 starts with the Miners. That's a very strong rotation, and you just look at this team and you say, if you could just get a little bit better batting-wise, you'd be a serious threat to win your division. Because, I mean, even still, at 32 and 30, I'd have to just quickly scroll back here to the standings page to get it all in front of me, but that record would put them either in the thick of things or in the division lead in any other division. Put them within about two games or so, I believe, or or five games if you're talking the Northeast Division, to really get back into the divisional talk. But in their current division, they're just kind of stuck in the best division in the Frontier League, and they're seven and a half back, but I still don't quite want to rule them out just because of that rotation. Yeah, you certainly don't want to rule them out because of because of that rotation, and we've seen uh, the teams that are that are going to be in it as far as uh, the playoff race. You know, it all back to starting pitching, and I think that, and and that's really the strength of the Southern Illinois Miners team. It's been the strength uh, for a while, and the bullpen uh, the bullpen has been excellent as well. I mean, this pitching staff when you have a team ERA of three point three nine, I mean that's a really really uh, good mark. Listen, we were a lot of us were high on on the on the miners coming into the season, in part due to, to how good this this pitching how good this pitching staff was. But you know the line the depth in the lineup just really isn't there. Uh, I think you use the word top heavy, Nick. I think that's a good way. Uh, to, I think that's a good way to describe it. it do, they don't hit for a lot of power at all. They don't steal. See, and and that and you can live with that if you don't hit for power. They also don't really they don't like to run a lot. I mean, they only have 29 stolen bases on the season, uh, as a team. So not really, not, they don't really run a lot. Uh, and there's not really a lot of guys on base to begin with. And it's just, I mean, it's a, it's a bad offense, uh, mm-hmm. honestly. I mean, just from, from top to bottom, there's no other way to put it. But I mean, the pitching staff has really been elite. Uh, and that's, that's kind of the shame. And you would hope that, and listen, if they're in a different division, they, they would be a little bit, uh, closer to the playoff race, unfortunately, they're in the most difficult division in the Frontier League, and that that's going to make it that's going to make it hard for them. So I, I think I certainly would not rule them out because there's still plenty of games to play, and uh, and the, you would think that the starting rotation likely stays at this level, but uh, you know at the as the lineup as it's currently constructed just isn't producing enough runs to really mount a serious challenge to teams like Florence and Evansville, who are really, really good clubs. Yeah, definitely. And I just want to point out a couple things. What's interesting about this team, because I'm looking at the league leaderboard for for total stats here, they have the fewest strikeouts when they're batting out of anybody in, in the league. They've only struck out 400 times. But like you said, they don't really steal bases. They've only stolen 29, like you mentioned, Will, and that's last in the league. In fact, they're over 100 behind Windy City that's leading the league in stolen bases. They really just are not aggressive. Hell, they've only attempted to steal a base 36 times, which is only three more attempts 
then Tri-City, the second to last place team in actual stolen bases, has stolen bases. So that that's not great off the bat, as you could guess. And as far as when you start looking into, I don't want to say advanced numbers because these are not advanced numbers, but when you look at their OPS, or OBS, my mistake, they're right in the middle of things. At 336, you know, that's only three points lower than a top five or top six team in Schaumburg. And then you look at their OPS, and even still, they're not, like, that terrible. I mean, they're fourth from the bottom, so they're not good. They're under 700. You need it to be higher, but it's not like it's abysmal. It's just they they just don't really push runs across, and that's just what's killing them. I mean, you want to look at the run totals here, and I know I keep using this board for a lot here, but it, it does illustrate the point. They have under 300 runs scored on the year, 279 through 63 games that's just not going to be quite good enough to get the job done and what's really a shame is they're leading the league in whip and what's kind of interesting is and we were talking about this off air before we came back to this uh, recording the league leader in the atlantic league has a whip of 1.54 here 1.54 would first off be the third worst that's what it keep quebec has in this league Obviously, there's differences, but the point remains here. The leading team for whip in the Frontier League is Southern Illinois, and their team whip is 1.17. That's pretty good. Like, if a pitcher had that, it'd be very good. As a staff, that's amazing. And I believe they have eight shutouts as well, far more than the rest of the league has. The closest team is seven with Schaumburg, and then after that, it's a decent amount of teams with four and three, and... You know, actually, New Jersey is the only team without a shutout at this point in the year, too. That's interesting to find out. But, yeah, the, I guess the main point I'm just trying to get across here is this team's really good at pitching. So much so that they're almost able to battle through being so inept at getting runs across. And, you know, it makes me wonder if they would have been able to get Willie Garcia instead of Tri-City getting him. How much better off would this team be? Like, I feel like Willie Garcia alone is enough to say, all right. We're only four and a half or five out of that first place spot with Evansville. And all of a sudden there, that's just you having one really good week and the two teams in front of you having a so-so week away from having a very, very interesting last 10 days of September. Right. And uh, I think this is a perfect segue, uh, Nick, into, you know, if you've been listening to, to the podcast, uh, at least to this episode, you're right. You might be wondering, well, where, where's the, the Lancaster ERA check? And we, we, we just compared whips from the Atlantic League to the Frontier League. So Nick, where would, uh, uh, where would Lancaster's ERA, uh, team ERA rank in the Frontier League? Cause that's a good way to segue in and also say what, uh, what the, what their team ERA is. Cause we have to do it. It's a tradition. I know we have to get our Lancaster team ERA check in here. And what I will say is, the Lancaster team ERA is just not very good and would in fact be dead last in the Frontier League because last place in the Frontier League belongs to the New Jersey Jackals, a team that has only won 10 home games at this point of the year, 60 games in, so keep that in mind. But their ERA is 5.69, that'd be New Jersey's. That, which just is a fun thing to build more suspense, that would even put them outside the top three in the Atlantic League. Like, New Jersey's ERA would actually be one, two, three. It'd be fourth, my mistake. It'd be fourth. Ahead of Lexington and just behind High Point. But, hey, look, Long Island cracked under five as their team ERA. We have a team under five in the Atlantic League. This is, this is historic stuff right now. 
that is big news. This is history in front of our eyes, but as but this could, knowing how scores go in the Atlantic League tomorrow, that's going to change. But the main point yeah. here is Lancaster's seven point six seven ERA would put them nearly two full points, two full earned runs behind New Jersey for last place in the Frontier League. So, is that good? Not particularly, no. It, it, let's just put it to you like this. That that would not be winning you terribly many games. Or I mean, it could be good enough for a 500 record. Only in the Atlantic League would it be. Only in the Atlantic League. Ah, what a wonderful season. But you know what? This is a Frontier League show. So, exactly. Um, it's a fun show. We're not going to keep talking about the mound like we have earlier today. <laughs> no, just, no, don't make me sad. Well, 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 to avoid making Will sad, we'll just talk about one of the sadder teams in the uh, in the <laughs> Frontier League, which honestly nice. wouldn't be out of the hunt in the Atlantic Division because they're only two games. Actually, they would be about three games out in the Atlantic Division. That's just sad. Uh, the Gateway Grizzlies, this is their 28 and 35. Uh, 500 in their last 10. Not that that terribly matters because, well, I explained earlier. Uh, as far as looking at this team, they're batting uh, 245 as a team. That's not good. That's just not good. Uh, Andreas Reginald is doing very well. He's batting 331, 11 home runs, 32 ribbies. He struck out 45 times, but that's not good. 17 walks. Again, you kind of want more there. Outside of that, uh, I guess you could look towards Moore and perhaps Rosario. Those guys are batting, you know, 278. 263 respectively a lot of 250 230s in here for their batting average not a lot of power uh, woodcock had eight home runs so i guess you could give him that ratola has got five rosario who i just mentioned has five owings has five a lot's got five so they got 55 home runs through um 63 games so there's some power there certainly but just uh, not much on the on the other end of the spectrum here, hitting for contact, 265 runs scored mm. on the year. So, I mean, that's not bad. Uh, it's not great, but it's not terrible. You could win games like that if you have, like, Southern Illinois pitching staff. But pitching-wise, uh, Cable's done well, 241 ERA. Uh, Bramblett, he's gotten three stars, but it's mostly a bullpen guy, 180 ERA for him. Uh, Kupo's only thrown three games, three innings, so he doesn't really count for much. Gardner, uh, 328 and six starts. Uh, Camacho, President Camacho here, uh, three games started, three games out of the bullpen, 3.32. He's really big in the three uh, for him. Uh, so, I mean, like, there's a, there's a lot of guys here that just don't really have too many innings pitched, like a lot of guys in, like, the mid-20s to mid 30s and they're bullpen guys so you give them that that's a lot of bullpen time i guess but it's hard to say 60 games in here i mean dedicated starter wise Tavares is a 516 era in 11 starts bartlett is 6.18 era in 11 starts they're just really it's it's not really great here it, a fellow by the name of Jet here, 31 innings pitched. He has a 9 era he's still on this team that's an interesting decision there hey hey, get, hey 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 yeah. Hey, yeah. hey, Jack Chet slander will not be tolerated because would you like to know who, who, which college he was the Friday night starter for this year? If I had to guess, it's probably Hofstra. It is. So Jack Chet slander will not be tolerated on the show. Well, maybe you want to tell him to get his ERA below nine. 
Yeah, we're, it's a it's a work in progress. What we're trying for thirty one innings, it's been a work in progress. He needs more time. He needs more innings. <laughs> Just keep feeding him. Let him pitch. Let him pitch. Yes, he he's got to he's got to pitch through it. Got to pitch through it. I, which okay, I will say this much. He had a bad July. Before that, you know, June, he had a six-run outing. Not great, but, I mean, three runs, one run, no runs, two runs. But he was very consistent in July. Every single outing in July, he gave up four earned runs. That, <laughs> that's consistency. 4.2 runs, or 4.2 innings, four runs on the 7th. On the 11th, against Florence, two innings, four runs. Against Lake Erie, 10 days later, two innings, four runs. Joliet, nine days later, he gets tagged with a loss, point two innings, four earned runs. That's consistency. I will give him that much. Yeah, that's all fans can ask for. Like, fans like ask of umpires, like, we don't care how bad you are, just stay consistent. For, I guess that's what Gateway fans want from Jack yeah. Nick, let me tell you, let me tell you that just to, to kick off my thing of, of my, my whole spiel about Gateway. Obviously, they're not very good. Yeah. Uh, as, as you, as you referred to one of the sadder teams, uh, in, in the Frontier League. Yeah. But they, you mentioned they hit a good amount of power, uh, but just not much as far as contact. That's actually 100% correct. Yeah. And if you look at it, the big thing that just jumped off the page, to me, I did some math to put it in the, put it into perspective. They struck out 541 times. Um, that as good? A team. No, it is not good. <laughs> oh, that's bad. 541 times they've struck out as a team. Uh, that is good, good for a K rate as a team of 26.5%. <laughs> so as a team, everybody that goes up, if they get four at bats, will strike out once. That is correct. So they're good for like nine strikeouts a game. Yeah, that's uh, that's tough. That, that's that's really um, that, that's tough to to win games that way. And you know, yeah. I, I, unfortunately, like you know, in Major League Baseball, maybe you can win some games like that where you, where you have like three, where you have like four thirty home run guys on your team. But you know, in the Frontier League, that's just not how it works. So, um, but. I think that's that's really the main problem I see with this offense in general. There's some guys who are who are, who are performing well, like Reganault specifically has had a great year at the plate. Just too many strikeouts, really. They're hitting 245 as a team. That's not really going to cut it. And you mentioned the pitching staff. I mean, they've struggled. Uh, they, they've really struggled pitching wise. An uh, ERA nearly five as a team. It's not going to it's not going to win you many games in the Frontier League now. In the Atlantic League, that would a 4.97 team ERA would put you second in the entire league. That, but in the Frontier League, that does not help you very much. But you know what? Give Jack Jet some more innings. Uh, maybe he'll surprise. I mean, he has more walks than strikeouts, but that's neither here nor there. I mean, to be He's fair, fine. the Gateway offense has more strikeouts than the Gateway pitching staff does. So, I mean, there's that. <laughs> That's not ideal. I mean, like some would say it's not ideal. I'm sure if you're playing Gateway, they'd say that's very ideal. I mean, yeah. I'm sure whenever Southern Illinois has to wind up playing Gateway, they love that. Yeah. So, yeah, Gateway, not not great. And especially given the teams that are in their division, really not. Like, it's, it's hard for them to compete just based on the teams in their division. And, you know, and they struggled as a result. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just not their year at this point. I mean, they're 
they are very much cursed with being in the wrong division. Although they are still better than the Jackals are. So. Yeah, that man, what a disappointing year for the Jackals. I mean, really. I mean, there, there's something like ten and twenty-one at home, and that puts them at about sixteen and thirteen on the road, which obviously is never good. I mean, they they've lost four in a row. They're they're just uh, they're not doing well at all. Uh, plus side is they'll have a good draft pick. True. True. Are they're you... tanking for somebody. Tanking for the yet. unknown. I mean, that's something that's good. I, you know, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here just because I, I feel like I've got to get this out before I, I do anything else. It would be kind of fun if there was some sort of like legit Frontier League draft. Not like the one that you have at the end of, you know, the tryout camp. I'm talking like a legit one where. I don't know, maybe like all first year players have to go in through the draft and you have a legit draft for like first year rookies. That'd be kind of fun. Now, no team wants to sign up for that and it does complicate things unnecessarily. So it will never happen, but it'd be kind of fun to watch that. I mean, it would be, I mean, it would be, it would be fun, but how do you know that team, that guys uh, who are rookies how do you know they're going to want, like, do they have to guarantee I will play for whatever team drafts me? Nah, you don't do that. Make it like, uh, like the major league draft. Like, you just, oh, like, decide okay. to not play. You can even have it just be like, okay, so the team just holds the players' rights and the player's like, look, I'm not going to go play in, like, Southern Illinois. Like, I don't want to be in Marion, Illinois for whatever reason. I want to be on the East Coast. Let Southern Illinois trade the rights to that player to, you know, like New York or something for future considerations or something. I mean, that kind of thing happens an awful lot in indie ball as it is. You know, you do a player a solid and move them out. If they're like, look, I want to be released or I want to get dealt. I mean, most teams will do that sort of a thing. So, I mean, like you could just go that way. But I mean, imagine how much fun it would be if you had like, Kumar Rocker, like, oh, I guess I got to go through the Frontier League draft now to figure out where I'm going to play here, which, if he were to do that, currently he wind up being a member of the Joliet Slammers, because I got to imagine that they're going to be, <laughs> be picking him with their first overall selection, but if somehow they didn't, he'd have Windy City and New Jersey on the table. I'm sure there's nothing Kumar Rocker would rather do. Than be a Joliet Slammer or be a New Jersey Jackal? Yeah. I mean, like, who wouldn't be? Who wouldn't want that? But, exactly. but yeah, so I guess we kind of reached the end of the line here. We went through all the Frontier League teams. So we'll do what we do with all of these kind of mid-season recaps. Uh, we'll go for a, a league MVP, a league pitcher of the year, and who we expect to see in the championship matchup. Only, I guess, with the Frontier League, given the way that they're set up here, uh, the four division winners would probably be a better substitute and then who we expect to see in a final, and then from there, uh, the league championship there. So uh, I think I have my player of the year picked. I think I need just an extra second here just to look over the pitching staff. So, uh, Will, if you want to start with that, you can, or I could just kind of go with the batting, whichever you want to do. Sure thing. I will, uh, I, I've decided on my player of the year. I decided on it uh, even before we started recording, recording the show. So it's oh. a pretty easy one for me. For me... It's got to be Martin Figueroa. Uh, he is an absolute stud. He's had an awesome year uh, with the Sussex County Miners. 
he's a he's a really fun player to watch play. Leading the league in batting average, uh, not a ton of power, only hitting five home runs. Uh, but I mean, but Martin Figueroa has had an awesome year with the minors. I'd say probably at the moment he'd be my he'd be my pick for Frontier League Player of the Year. Uh, and you know, as far as as far as pitcher of the year, I don't think there's a uh, a specific team that uh, or I said team. I don't know why I said team, uh, but uh, that that really jumps off the t- that really jumps off the table. Uh, however, I would say if you had to pick one, I'd say Kyle Arjona. I think is a good pick uh, for Schaumburg. He has been really good uh, in his 13 starts with them uh, in 87 innings. He had a 2.37 ERA. He's also thrown two complete game shutouts. Uh, and he's been really, really impressive this season. Uh, so of course that is certainly subject to change. There's, uh, there's plenty of season, plenty of, uh, plenty of games still to be played. Lots of numbers can change in that sense, but I would probably say, uh, Martin Figueroa for my player of the year and Arjona from Schaumburg for my pitcher of the year. I agree, uh, I agree with Arjona. I just want to cut in there to get the, my, the player things okay. out of the way before we go to the teams. Yeah, uh, I agree with Arjona. I think he's kind of the obvious pick right there right now. Uh, everyone else is kind of close, and that could very well change, but he has the most things pitched among guys in the ERA leader. He doesn't really have too many extra base hits against, really. He strikes out a lot of guys. Not, I mean, the walk is a little high, but, I mean, it, all in all, it's not that bad, and only 23 earned runs is certainly not bad. I disagree on the batter of the year, although Figaro is a good choice. For me, I go Quincy Nyport just because I that 3.44 batting average, the 14 home runs. He doesn't really strike out a lot. He gets on base. He scores runs. He's doing it all. I, I like him right now for that spot. That said, there's a couple other guys which I'm watching that I could very well be convinced to take that spot. Uh, Chuck Taylor is one of those guys that I think is really kind of low-key, kind of sneaking up there with a 335 batting average, more home runs than Figueroa, more games played than Nyport, and he's doing an awful lot. Like I'm almost talking myself into picking Chuck Taylor, to be quite honest here, and even uh, Crapport, uh, I don't dislike that pick at all either, but I'm going with uh, Nyport right now uh, for me, but uh, that could easily change her. There's no real runaway winner in either of these categories for me, to be quite honest. Well, I guess for I guess as far as teams, uh, if we're doing <clears throat> the four division winners, um, mm-hmm. I'll go with I'll go with Tri City out of the Atlantic. Uh, there's not really a great option there, but yeah. I think Tri City has the best roster. Uh, Schaumburg, I think, is a pretty easy choice out of the Central. Sussex are a pretty easy choice out of the Northeast. And, uh, although, and Evansville and Florence is going to be a fun race to the end. I think Evansville will edge them out, uh, and, and take the West Division crown. And then, uh, for my, for my championship series, I'll go with, I'll go with Sussex County versus Evansville. Uh, I think those have been the two best teams, uh, in the Frontier League this year. I, I think they'll end up meeting. And as far as the championship series right now, I think I'd pick Sussex County in, in a series. I think that uh, Sussex County's lineup is just so lethal and so dangerous. And while their pitching might not be elite, I think it'll be good enough um, to get them by in a series. Uh, and I, I just think the lineup is just too good and too dangerous. 
and I, I think Sussex County would take it home. But Evansville certainly, uh, certainly capable of of winning that series as well. But I'd say at the moment, Sussex County was my champion at the beginning of the year. I'll stick with them. I agree on Schaumburg, and I think I'm going to agree with Evansville. I think the direction that Evansville's going is a different direction than Florence's. I think Florence is kind of leveled off for now. I think they're going to fall just short, although it's going to be a fun fight there. I think Southern Illinois is going to really start to get in there too. But in the end, I think it's Evansville. I think it's going to be uh, Schaumburg as well. I think those two are pretty well set. I want to say Tri-City because they've definitely been very good since the end of June. Uh, that, that much is pretty dead certain. But the Boulders have come on hot as of late. They're on a winning streak. They've closed the gap to one game. That Atlantic division really is whoever manages to survive the longest, I think, is uh, is how that's going to work out. So I'm going to just go a little bit different. I'll say New York. I'm switching from my previous pick in the beginning of the year. I say Kip, Quebec. I don't think that's going to be the case anymore. I think there's just not enough time for them, even though they're only two games back. Uh, but I think it's going to be the Boulders, provided they stay hot. In that Northeast division, Sussex is the second best team in this league. You could very well say they're the second best team in this league. Sole possession of. Uh, but there's something about Washington. Because Washington managed to split with them this past series. They won tonight, they won last night. Uh, so I guess that'd be Wednesday and Thursday. They dropped the doubleheader on Tuesday. But they've played the minors tough. So, really, if you want to look at the wild thing schedule for what comes, like, for the rest of the, uh, rest of their season, you're going to see a lot of games against, well, beatable teams, Tri-City, New Jersey, Sussex County, they've shown that they can beat or at least play to a standstill. They've got New York on there, they got Ekip Quebec, Tri-City, Lake Erie is on there. Really, when you look at their schedule... There's the, from the 13th to the 15th, a three-game set at home against Florence. That's really the only set of games here where I don't think it's the easiest uh, winning schedule here. Like, they, they're about to start a three-game set against New Jersey, and we all know that that's going to be a very winnable series for them. There's a lot of winnable games there, and I'm not saying that Sussex County doesn't have winnable games, but there's just something about it that makes me want to pick Washington. And so I'm going to get out there a little bit. I'm going to say Washington with the full expectation they're going to disappoint me and be wrong. And I'm just buying into them being very hot right now. But I'm going to say Washington. And I think Washington's going to wind up going to the file because we all know whoever comes out of the Northeast will almost certainly beat the hell out of whoever comes out of the Atlantic Division. And then when you look at the Central and the West, I think the West is probably going to beat up on Schaumburg. I don't think it matters all too much. So I think it's going to wind up being an Evansville and Washington final. I'm going to go Evansville because I just think that's a more well-rounded team. I think they've shown more to this point, and they've been more consistently uh, good, if you want to call it like that, uh, throughout the course of this year. So I have Evansville winning everything uh, for this go-around. But like I said, if Sussex County were to top off on uh, over Washington... I wouldn't be very surprised, and I would probably say Sussex County would be my champion as well. I like Sussex County a lot against just about anyone they play in the postseason. It's just I'm not sure that they're going to be able to hold off Washington. That They just seem to be one bad slump away from Washington catching them. I don't know why. I just get that kind of a feeling. Well, 
certainly told, but uh, if, if it happens, you can say you called it. Yeah, exactly. I'm nothing if not bold, I suppose. So, uh, um, with, there we go. Yep. So with that, we've reached the end of the Frontier League recap, projection, whatever you want to call it. We've reached the end of all these league recaps uh, now after doing this for three weeks. So next we get to go back to talking about actual baseball, current event happenings, and things of that nature. So that'll be awfully fun to do, and uh, you can look forward to that. And who knows, maybe if we have no other news, we'll talk about what indie ball team Kamal Rocker is going to play for next year, because that was on the dock until we realized, oh, this is probably going to be a two-hour-long episode, so there's no point in including that this week. So who knows, maybe you'll get that. So with that, we'll go to the plugs and we will get out of here. Uh, if you want to follow the show, you can do so on Twitter at IndieBallPod. You could do so on Instagram at IndieBallReport and at ALPB underscore news for all your Atlantic League-centric content. You can also follow on the website. We just did a little bit of an overhaul on that site to get the episode page to actually load quicker now. So it doesn't take uh, 15 minutes to load everything. You can now sort to find your episodes a lot easier, you could go to the 2019 tab to find 2019 episodes, 2020 to find 2020 episodes, and 2021 to find 2021 episodes. If you want the bonus episodes, they're in another tab. And if you want to find the uh, the episodes with interviews, that's also in a tab as well. So everything's a lot more organized and easier to get to now. So be sure to check that out on the website. Also, we got articles going up there that originated on the social media, mainly on Instagram in actual article format there on the website. There's a lot of stuff there, so be sure to check that out. It's IndieBallReport.com. And then I suppose you can find us wherever you find podcasts, at least on all the major podcatchers, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podomatic, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts. Like I said, just about any major podcatcher, you can find the show. So be sure to check us out there and subscribe to the show. And if possible, like, rate, and review it to help us grow and get uh, get bigger, get more important. We're already getting shout-outs on different podcasts from, from friends of the show as well as on, I guess, radio broadcasts as well, which is pretty cool to hear that in the wild. It's always fun to, to hear that. But uh, anywho, be sure to do all of that. So with that said, uh, do we have anything else left to add this week? My only thing left to add this week is uh, it's officially the month of August, which means... There is football this month, and that is very exciting. Isn't the Hall of Fame game so exciting? Ah, uh, that game sucks. <laughs> but more importantly, there's we're getting closer to football season. We're getting closer to college football starting uh, somewhat soon. So that uh, the fact that there's football, it's pretty exciting. Pretty exciting. That actually reminds me. I need to start up my fantasy league again. I got to reactivate that. Probably should have a draft for that soon, actually. But sure. uh, regardless, uh, I don't actually have anything on my pile. I didn't add anything. I have a Wonka rant, which I'm going to save and start teasing again soon. So that way I can mention it when we get to our end of the year Q&A, which is surprisingly only about like four months, like four and a half months away. It's, it's kind of weird. This month, this year, it feels like it hasn't gone as quick as it has. But uh, whatever there. I have a Pirates of the Caribbean script thing, uh, which... Just going to kind of leave that Pirates of the Caribbean script thing there because I don't even remember it. And I have Will Hates Malls on top of that, but this has gone on long enough. So uh, I think we'll save that for a week where we're scratching and clawing to get to the hour mark. So I got really nothing left to add. Uh, maybe just 
Rangers get Igor Shchetsjurkin's extension done. Six by six is fine by me. That brings him to 31. And quite frankly, six mil for a starting goaltender sounds like a fine deal. I've seen enough to know it's a safe bet. So, hey, let's let's go with that. Get Igor signed. Uh, So with that said, we got nothing else left to add. Thanks for hanging in there for two hours. Until next time, don't forget to play ball.